welcome. We're glad that you're here. If you're a first-time guest, we're, we're really happy that you're here. Um, we're launching this new series today, and it's called Home Address. And there were just one easy parameter given to the teaching team about preparing for this message, and it was just simply choose any Bible passage that is chapter 2, verse 14. Pretty straightforward. So if you don't know, our church was actually named after the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 14. So that's Church 214. And in that book, um, Peter and the apostles stepped forward to lead the first church of Jesus Christ. Now, the cool thing about Acts and our namesake is that Acts is the account that proved that Jesus had been killed and then he was resurrected from the grave because it's the accounts of him going out after he was resurrected and proving to people, like, look, literally, I have the scars, I have the wounds, this is Jesus. So I love that that is our foundation, that's our home address. And so Acts 2.14 is something we continually come back to. It, it grounds us, if you will. It helps give us our identity. It helps us to know who we are. And ideally, um, a home address should house a family, right? Or at least really good friends. So I am so thankful that here at Church 214, we're family. And I think that in family, if you have a healthy family, you get to be honest and transparent. You don't have to wear a mask. You just get to be real. And so I have to be real with you. This week for Church 214 leadership has held some crazy emotions. I mean, we have had the highest of highs, and we've had some pretty low lows. Um, but the first thing I want to tell you about is last week I told you about the newest member of our church, the tiniest, sweetest little thing you ever did see. His name is Atlas David, and you're going to see his beautiful face up here. There's Atlas David Schaefer. He, so I'm super smitten. He is actually my blood nephew. That's my sister. That's not me on the screen. That's my sister. We like to say we're twins. Um, she's 10 years younger, so I love that comment. But um, he, he wel was welcomed in the world last weekend, and so that was like the high high. And then one of our leaders got home from this major intensive worship seminar or conference for two weeks. So talk about a holy hangover for her. Oh, my goodness. And then a couple of our guys had these crazy situations arise at work just out of the blue. And really, we had to intercede with them and for them. And my littles were sick. Um, we were battling some autoimmune disease struggles in our household. So it was kind of all over the place for everyone on the team in some capacity. And then there's Phil. Phil Schaefer stepped into a brand new decade of his life. So there's like a whole unknown there. So welcome to the 30s, bro. You're going to love it. It's awesome. But he's an old man now. Yeah, yeah. But this is the thing, like we would really value your prayers over the next week for this church and this team, um, but we're not dismayed. We're not discouraged. We're not even disheartened because of some of those things that took place because we know who fights for us. We know that we already fight from a place of victory. And the Apostle Paul prayed this incredible prayer over the believers in Ephesians 3, 16 through 17. And I want you to listen because this is really what I was claiming over the team in this church. He said, I pray that God from his glorious unlimited resources will empower you with inner strength from his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your heart, meaning his home address is you, right? And as you trust in him, 
Your roots will grow down deep into God's love, and they will keep you strong. And I watched our team walk through these highs and these lows this week, and I was just so encouraged because people were just steady. People were even because our roots go down deep, and we know that God is so faithful. So one thing that I love to do over my family is I love to pray God's word, like the actual word of God over them. So I'm going to pray God's word over you. If you would all bow your heads just for a moment. And God, I just want to pray Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 over your people, over Church 214 today. God, God, we just bow before you right now for every family in heaven and on earth is named after you. And according to the riches of your glory, you have granted Church 214 the strength with the power for the Holy Spirit to just build up our inner beings so that you, Jesus, can dwell in our hearts through our faith in you. And that we, God, being rooted and grounded in your love, we can understand, we can comprehend with all of the saints what is the, what is the length and what is the depth and what is the height and the width of your love for us, God. Surely it surpasses our knowledge. God, that we can be filled with the fullness of you. And now to you, Father, who is able to do far more abundantly than any words I could speak. God, anything we could ask or think according to the power of work within us, to you be the glory in this church, at Church 214, because of Jesus, through every generation, forever and forever. Amen. Isn't that powerful to pray God's word? If you, if you struggle with prayer and you're like, God, I don't know what to say, just open God's word and literally pray his word, and you're going to feel like a, a spiritual rock star. It's amazing. Okay, so let's jump in here. As leaders of anything, we have to be proactive about setting the culture of the place around us. So as leaders of this church, we have to develop the culture of Church 214. How many parents are in the house? Let me see your hand. A lot of parents in the house. You know that as a mom or as a dad, it is your responsibility to set the culture of your kids, of your home, of your family, right? And if you own a business or you manage a team, it is your responsibility to set the culture surrounding that business or that team. Okay, how many Chick-fil-A fans in the house? I, got, I want both hands in the air right now. Chick-fil-A, oh my goodness. Guys, I've been fasting sweets. I am ready for a Chick-fil-A milkshake. Does anyone know, though, the most commonly used phrase by the staff of Chick-fil-A, Blake? My pleasure. You drive through, you order your food, and you say thank you. You say thank you about four times, and you hear, my pleasure. Now, this is not because Chick-fil-A only hires people who naturally say, my pleasure. Like, how often in life do you walk around, and you're like, thank you, Holly. My pleasure. Like, it's just not a common phrase, is it? But it's because they have created it into their culture. So when they hire someone, they would not just casually mention, like, hey, buddy, you're 15. We want you to start saying my pleasure when someone thanks you. No, that wouldn't fly. If the leaders weren't saying it, if the training didn't contain it, it would not take root. So you'd start to hear things like, hey, thanks, man. And he'd be like, yeah, for shizzle. And you'd be like, am I at McDonald's? I am not at the right restaurant. This is not the culture of Chick-fil-A. So if you drive through and you don't hear my pleasure, you're thinking like, man, I just got served by a rebel. I think it'd be funny if they said for shizzle, but I don't think they'll do that. But as churches, as families, as business leaders, team leaders, it's our responsibility to create the culture. Why? Because 
vision vanishes, vision leaks. If it's not constantly on repeat, if it's not constantly being filled and reminded, people forget the point. People forget, why do we do what we do? Why do we say my pleasure? Why can't we just say you're welcome? Because that's not their culture. So it wouldn't take root if the leaders aren't using that phrase in their training. And even here in the church of Jesus, sometimes people forget why we do what we do. They like, why do we show up at 730 to set up chairs for people to sit in and hear God's word? Well, because the Bible says don't forsake meeting together and worshiping Jesus. So that's why we do what we do. So this series is something I'm excited about because it is meant to help remind you and help us recall the purpose and the vision of why Church 214 exists. Now, we often are mentioning the reasons of our existence, um, but they're worth repeating. So we're going to just fill up that vision cup for you. And our leadership team is actually right now in the process of creating an actual vision statement that you guys can, that is repeatable. Like that when someone goes like, well, what does your church believe? There's like a simple statement that you could use so that you know it and they know it and it's easy to understand. So that's going to be coming. You're going to hear it talked about. You'll hear it repeated. But there have been some words over the years, um, three and a half years to be exact, that have guided us. Um, but we just feel like it's now time to have something that really is a foundation of who we are. So, but for me personally, as I invite people to church, which I try to do often, um, I find myself saying things like, our church exists uh, to love God. Um, we exist to love people. Uh, we exist to help equip people with God's word. We exist to create disciples out of people. And then a few of the things that I tell them that we believe, and I want to tell you guys, like, what do we believe? Well, number one, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that his power and his presence is constantly working through everyone who is a believer in Jesus. That could be a whole massive series, but I'm, that's all I'm going to say. I'm on a time clock. Number two, we believe in miracles. This is a touchy topic. Um, Here's the thing. We have seen God do so many miracles in the lives of people in this church. And so, therefore, when he says, I'm a miracle-working God, we actually believe that he is. And I've gotten to preach on it before. In fact, we have had people actually name their children the word, which means miracle, because they were such miracles. Okay? And so, when we say we believe in miracles, it's because we've seen them. We believe in miracles. Number three, we have this solid foundation which is built on this unwavering faith in God. I think that whomever Jesus is to you, those are the things he's going to do through you. So to this church, he's been a miracle-working God, and so he's doing miracles through us. And to this church, Jesus has been so faithful. Like the faithfulness is just off the charts. So to us... We trust him at his word because he's been faithful to us. Guys, whatever you feed is going to grow. If you're going to feed your anxiety and your worry, you're going to find that you are full of anxiety and worry. And if you're going to feed your faith, you're going to find that your faith is growing. So we have been building and feeding a culture of faith and of prayer here at Church 214. And the result is that your faith has grown. How do I know that? It is evident in your lives. It is evident in your walk. It is evident in your speech. Now, my home life growing up, it cultivated a very strong faith atmosphere. 
faith and prayer. They were staples, foundations. And we didn't just believe that God was faithful. In fact, we so believed that God was going to be faithful to us. We were in this church that taught us that it was, it was best if we just trusted God for healing. So we actually didn't go to doctors. Like hardcore. My mom delivered seven babies at home with a midwife because we so believed God was going to be faithful. Now, I mean, <laughs> I've delivered three babies in the hospital. Holy cow. And I have been with two women in the hospital in the last month from this church delivering babies. And I'm telling you, it is no small feat to deliver a baby, even with a medical establishment. So when my parents said we trust God in all things, they walked it out in all things. Now, it is important for you to know, like since then, we've come back to a little more balance. We lean into doctors and their wisdom. I was just with one on Friday. Like we think God has definitely equipped them to help us. So that's an important note. Do not email me. Um, but my point is this, like God is faithful. And so we were taught and then we watched them walk out like we trust God no matter what. This is kind of cool. The pediatrician that when we start going to doctors, God gave us this phenomenal pediatrician. He was my pediatrician, and now he's my kids' pediatrician. And the super cool thing is he is one of my greatest spiritual heroes in my life, and he pours into me. And um, just Friday, I was talking to him, and I got to tell him, like, you are one of my superheroes, and he started bawling. He's got such a tender heart for Jesus. But I think God is so cool because so often he uses things that we once thought like, man, I just don't know about that. And then he goes, but look at it from this perspective and let it increase your faith. And that's what he did for me with the concept of, of doctors is like, I'm in this, okay? Um, <laughs> this is funny, guys. Recently I heard some feedback about this church. And um, – particularly about my family. There's a lot of us here. They're all, everyone that looks alike, are, we're all related. Um, well, except two. There's two girls that look like us, and they're not related, which is weird. But um, they, they said this thing, and they thought it was really negative, and I took it as this massive compliment. I was like, man, thank you. He said he, he feels like, they feel like that the church has kind of taken on this new faith mentality. And it made, it, it made them uncomfortable. And, like, this is not politically correct at all, but I literally laughed out loud because I, I realized that they caught the vision of this church. They got it. Like, they didn't even realize it. They caught the vision. And the funny thing is, faith isn't a new mentality for me. I'll speak for myself. Because it was part of my growing up. It was part of my DNA. So without faith... There is no Heidi Bolt as you know me. Without faith, there is definitely no Church 214. If this was our idea, this would not be, okay? So this incredible comment was actually so encouraging to me because I just thought, man, they have caught the culture, even though it makes them uncomfortable. Okay, so the reason I love this series concept is because it uses the numbers of God's word to teach us about God's word. And I think the meaning of the numbers in the Bible are just so intriguing. I think that it is fascinating that God was so strategic um, in the way he inspired his words to be uh, captured. And so all of the mathematicians in the house are going to love this. It's going to be simple math. Trust me, it's going to be simple math. Um, but we're Isaac. Isaac was home educated with me. He's four years younger and annoyingly smart with math. Um, okay, so we're going to look at the numbers 2 and 14, our home address, 
in the Bible and what they mean, okay? And we're going to go through this quick because there's a lot of information. So the meaning of the number two conveys union or the verification of facts by witnesses. That was the book of Acts, the verification of facts, the fact that Jesus had risen. So union between a man and a woman in marriage, that's in Genesis 2. Um, also, it examples the union between Christ and the church. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, number two, the testimony of God is divided into Old and New Testaments. His agreements with mankind are divided into Old and New Covenants, too. In the Old Testament, the testimony of at least two people was required to convict someone of sin or of wrongdoing. And uh, uh, Paul actually kind of brings validity to this teaching in two portions of scripture in 1 Timothy 5:19 and in Titus 3 he talks about how that is accurate teaching. Jesus sent out his disciples by two for them to preach the gospel, to testify of his teachings and of his miracles, to witness those who were accepting Jesus, even those who were rejecting the gospel. That's in Mark chapter 6, 7 through 13 if you want to read that. Two also in the Bible conveys this great idea of um, comparison and contrast. Okay, so for example, the old covenant was based on the requirements of physical obedience for blessing. So to get the blessing of God, you had to physically obey the laws. But the new covenant, because of Jesus, is based on our heart and our spirit intent. Okay, so old and new. The Old Testament, guys, you're going to cringe, but we women have to deliver babies. So um, the Old Testament required physical circumcision if you were going to be considered part of God's family. And the new law requires that we are circumcised of our heart, meaning God pull anything back so that you can reveal what you need to get to. All the guys are so quiet. <laughs> so God formerly required this obedience to the letter of the law. And now he calls us men and women alike. He calls us to obey the spiritual and the heart intent as well. So two shows contrast of old and new law, and it's all because of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross. Here's some interesting facts about the Bible. The number of two, um, the word God appears in every book of the Bible except for two, the book of the Song of Solomon and Esther. And I think that's so interesting, and I was like, why is that? So I started to research. There's no overt miracles mentioned in those two books of the Bible. And so they don't, like, directly point to God. And so when God does anything miraculous in the Bible, he gets credit for it. And so you might think, like, why even include those books in the Bible? That doesn't make much sense at all if it's not specifically about God. Because, see, Esther is the story of human action or of faith, if you will. And then the Song of Solomon focuses on human love. So it feels like it's not a lot about God. But those books don't stand alone, do they? No, they're surrounded. You've got to read it all in context if you're going to grasp what was God's covenant with Israel at the time that those books were inspired. So you've got to take it all into account if you're going to get a clear perspective. And my point in sharing that about Song of Solomon and Esther is that so often we want to focus on these small portions of people's lives or their businesses or their churches that we don't get, that don't make sense to us. We go like, does that really point to God? I don't know if it does. 
But the thing is, like, we don't always know contextually the purpose of their vision. And so we want to kind of, like, write things off as a whole when we don't see the whole picture. The shortest verse in the Bible is two words. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And then during creation week, I love this one, God created two lights, one to rule the day and one to rule the night. That's Genesis 1, 16. So just some cool facts about two, the first part of our home address. And then the number 14. So seven is the number of perfection in God's word. So 14 is a multiple of seven. So two times seven is 14. And so 14 partakes of its importance and being double the number seven implies this double measure of spiritual perfection. I mean, come on, I'll take some double portion. Holy cow. Okay, the number 14, we're going to come back to that, but the number 14 is actually directly linked with Jesus' ancestors. And I don't get to say all their names, mostly because I couldn't pronounce them all, but um, there are actually three sets of 14 generations between Abraham and Joseph, who was married to Mary, Jesus' mom. So the first set is Abraham down to King David, and there's 14 generations. And then the second generation, the second set, is King David to Josiah, 14 generations in that second set. The third set of 14 generations is Josiah to Joseph, 14 generations. So I'm studying all of this, and I'm like, God, what, what does this have to do with anything? And I started to think, well, I wonder what, I wonder what two, like what's 14 signify? What, two times 14, the meaning of 28, here's some interesting facts about 28 in the Bible. There are 28 writers of the Old Testament. The book of Mark has 28 direct Old Testament quotations. The phrase, the lamb, which is used to refer to Jesus Christ as the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. It occurs, you want to guess, how many times? 28 times. The word hallelujah, which is a really rich in meaning word in the Bible. We don't use it a lot here. We should. We should use it more. We should sing about it, Phil. Um, The word hallelujah, it appears 28 times. Of the top 10 occurring names in the entirety of God's word, is the name David, and it appears 28 times. We have a lot of Davids in the house. We've got Isaac David and Phil David and Atlas David and probably more of you Davids. But Kale David, yeah, we've got so many Davids. What a rich name. And then the book of Acts, the book that we're named after, it has 28 chapters, and it is the longest book in the, in the New Testament. Are you guys bored? Okay, hang with me. Here's a cool one. This might be the last one. I don't know. Maybe not. The Holy Spirit might tell me otherwise. So here. So 214. 2 plus 1 plus 4 is 7. The number 7. The number 7 is the foundation of God's word as a whole. It implies perfection. Do not hear me say I think this, this church is perfect. We're going to get to that. But 214 from day 1 has stated that we would exist to equip people with God's word. Guys, we have some incredibly smart minds on this team. We could have never sat around long enough and come up with the richness of the meaning of 214. 
had we ever tried. And so what I'm telling you is this was not our idea. This name was not inspired by us. This was a God idea because this church is not perfect, but God's ideas are perfect, okay? So seven is the number of completeness and perfection, both spiritually and physically. Seven derives much of its meaning from being tied directly to creation. The word created is used seven times in just a couple chapters to describe God's creative work. There are seven days in a week, and God's Sabbath is on the seventh day. I don't think that's happenstance. And then the Bible as a whole originally was divided into seven major divisions. It was the law, the prophets, the psalms, the gospels, which include Acts, the general epistles, the epistles of Paul, and finally Revelation. The total number of originally inspired books was 49, which is seven times seven. This demonstrates absolute perfection of God's word. Here's some appearances of the number seven. I found, there might be more, I could only find seven men in the Old Testament who are specifically mentioned as men of God. In the book of Hebrew, it is written by the Apostle Paul. He uses seven titles to refer to Christ. Heir of all things, captain of our salvation, apostle, author of salvation, forerunner, high priest, author, and finisher of our faith. What does all of this mean? These are not my facts. I did not come up with all of these on my own. These are not my ideas. These are facts about the Bible. But what does it tell me about our church? What does it tell me about our home address? Based on the number two, you guys, we have union with God. That is rich. We get to reflect the relationship of Jesus and his bride to the world. Based on 14, we have a double portion of spiritual blessing. How do I know this is true? Hang on. Hello. We have had 21 babies born in this church in seven years. You do the math. Seven times three is 21. Seven babies a year. I know of quite a few more who are coming this next year, but guess what? If you're longing for a baby, there is still space in that number, okay? That's a word for somebody. We're named after the book of Acts. Honey, it, it's not us. Don't worry. This is not a baby announcement. And all the raise hands, based on the number 28, so 2 times 14, Acts and its 28 chapters, it tells me we have longevity with God in this church. Guys, we might have to endure much for the sake of the kingdom of God, but I am okay with that because we have a double portion. Based on the number seven, we have the same foundation that God's word is based on. So you know what, Church 214? I don't think our home address is very shabby. I think it's pretty solid. I think God has got some really big plans for us, and I think he has only just begun. I think year four is going to be the best year yet. Okay, so my opening's done, so let's start the message. I'm kidding. Okay, so before I tell you the 214 passage that I'm going to use in today's main text, I've got to tell you the story that leads up to this. Um, three months ago, my family moved. We changed our home address. And um, my sis-in-love, Jenna, lives in Houston. And she's a good friend of mine. And three years ago, 
God told me, you need to start meeting with Jenna every single week via FaceTime, and you need to pray over her for a specific thing in her life. And so I did. So we started to pray every week, and we prayed some we prayed each other through some really intense, unimaginable things that came up in life. But the week we were getting ready to move, I was feeling super unsettled. I was very uneasy. I'm gonna, I was totally worried. And I was starting to think, like, this, we're not supposed to move. Like, let's pull out. We're, we're not doing this. We're not moving. And I was so full of this thought, like, God, what if you're not leading us? Like, I just want to be where you want me to be. And what if this is my home address? What if I'm not supposed to move? And so I'm sharing with Jenna over FaceTime this week, and I'm like, I just need, I need to know, like, if God is leading us or if this is self. And so Jenna started to pray this prayer over me that it felt like was in bold italics. She said, Jesus, thank you that you're directing Kip and Heidi, and you are going to speak that to her this week. And as they move into this new area, thank you that those that are around them, specifically in their new home, are going to smell the sweet fragrance of you, Jesus. And I thought, man, that was such a unique prayer, such a unique thing. I've never prayed that I would smell like Jesus. And then that very night, I was at the Church 214 teaching team meeting, and we were planning out the, the messages that we would preach in this quarter. And somebody threw out the idea of, let's preach on passages that are chapter 2, verse 14. That'd be cool. And everyone's like, that's awesome. We love that. And they're all talking. And immediately, I feel the Holy Spirit say, you're going to open this series like okay that's weird and he's like and now look at chapter look at second corinthians 2 verse 14 i was like okay i I mean i feel like i'm in a meeting i should probably pay attention but so i look at second corinthians 2 14 and it says but thank you god he has made us his captives and he continues to lead us in christ's triumphal procession Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Are you freaking kidding me, God? Like he actually speaks to me that obviously. I'm like, you are so obvious. And he's like, I know. So Jenna's prayer is fresh in my mind. God, are you leading us? And he's like, I'm leading you. God, but show me. She prays about sweet perfume, and then he speaks it to me in his word. I have never noticed that verse before. So I had like full-on Jesus chills. I'm freaking out in Heather's basement. So there's only three verses left in that chapter, and I don't even get to go into the number three in the Bible, but it has significant meaning, so we're going to read those three three verses. It says this in 15, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. So not only does God say it to me in 2.14, he says it to me in 2.15 twice. He repeats himself. And it says, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are this dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. So three times, God says to me, do you get this? I'm like, I'm starting to. And it says, and who is adequate for such a task as this? Verse 17, you see, we are not like many hucksters who preach for personal profit. Side note, if you hear someone preaching for personal profit, you have biblical permission to call them a huckster, okay? No, we preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. So moving day rolls around, and I've got Jenna's words in my mind, and God's confirmed it in my spirit. 
And our little boy Crosley, who was six at the time, on like hour one, it's raining, it's disgusting outside. He goes over and he knocks on the door and he introduces himself to this little family. And he's like, hi, I'm Crosley, I'm your new neighbor. Do you by any chance have any children? And he like is making friends on hour one. It's raining. The next day, that little boy walks in my house. He walks in the door and he stops dead in his tracks. And he goes, wow, it smells amazing in here. (laughs) You guys, my actual house smelled like a barn because it had been raining and I had four college boys moving me in. Their body odor was so bad. It did not smell good physically in that house. Three days later, a family member who hadn't been in the house comes by. He walks in and he goes, wow, it smells amazing in here. And I'm like, yo, that's Jesus. (laughs) Holy cow. Here's the two points from this passage that I want you to leave with. Number one, God always causes us to triumph in Christ. The King James Version puts it this way. Now, thanks to God, which causes which always causes us to triumph in Christ. So no matter your past, guess what? You triumph in Christ. No matter your place, you triumph in Jesus Christ, okay? No matter where he has called you to, you're going to triumph in Christ Jesus. No matter what got ripped out from under you this week, you're going to triumph in Christ Jesus, okay? No matter what others say about you, you triumph in Christ Jesus. And if you doubt it, Start opening his word, and you are going to see a ton of promises that are so strategic specifically for you. Number two that I want you to know today is wherever we go, he uses us to tell others about Jesus with the sweet fragrance of who he is. I'm going to invite the band back up whenever they're ready. And um, Oswald Chambers is somebody that I've read since I was like, 14 years old, I think. He said this, having the reality of God's presence is not dependent on our being in a particular circumstance or place. It is only dependent on our determination to keep the Lord continually before us. So are you moving? God's presence is going to be there. Or are you staying? God's presence is here. You've got to trust him. Don't get stuck in the sin of worry like I was stuck in three months ago. We go really easy on that sin. Like we think it's like, oh, my, I'm just a worrier. Well, don't be because God says it's a sin. Stop it. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Stop it. The first time I drove into my new subdivision when the move was complete, like there was no turning back. The other family had already taken our old address. I'm driving with no kids in my car, which never happens almost. And it's silent, which literally never happens. And I feel God speak to me so fully. He said, look around. I am the one that has placed you here. It's for them. He said, and by the way, do you remember the desire of your heart? I'm fulfilling that right now. And I was like, God, I don't get it. I'm not very picky about my house. I, he's like, no, no. 
Do you remember that you said you wanted your kids to be exposed to people of all nations? Like our family doesn't travel very much. When you have two autoimmune diseases and three little kids, that doesn't stack up for great travel material. Do you know the first woman I met in my new subdivision? She is from Iran. She is sitting here today with us. We've become friends. I've had two meals in her house in three months. Have you had two meals in anyone's house in three months? Two meals. This is so funny. I have to tell, I don't have time to tell this, but I have to tell this. They invited us to a birthday party, and it made me feel like we Americans totally, totally are awful at birthday parties. We're like, happy birthday. They pull out the birthday cake, and the party starts. I mean, they sing happy birthday for like 10 minutes, and they are dancing, and they are shouting, and every kid in the room is blowing out the candle, so there is like so much spit on the cake, and they're having a blast, and I'm like, this is freaking awesome, and I look at my son, and I'm like, Kroz, isn't this the best birthday party you've ever been at, and he's like, one question, do they ever eat the cake? I don't know, but we're going to find out. A year and a half ago, my friend turned from Muslim religion and accepted Jesus. And you know what's so crazy is just last year at If Gathering, or this year, I felt God tell me, I'm going to put some women around you that you're going to disciple, and they're going to be from other nations. And I was like, that's kind of weird. I have all Caucasians and their old women that live around me. And then God moved me. In just three months' time, we have played with families at the park right by our house from seven nations. Some of them didn't even speak our language. Here's the thing. God moved us. And just because he's moved us doesn't mean that you're going to be in the easiest season you've ever experienced. Sometimes God moves you, and it gets really hard. Our move ushered in the most difficult parenting season we have ever been in. And it has caused me to seek the face of Jesus in a way I have never had to seek the face of Jesus. Yesterday, I got to invite a woman to church who is Hindu. And she graciously declined because she was going to go to her own temple. But here's the thing, like, she's now been invited to the church of Jesus. You've got to set worry aside because I no longer am doubting that God moved me because I see and I sense and I smell so fully that he was in the move. The home address was set by God. So your priorities, no matter where you're at, whether you're staying or going, it's got to be God, your first, God, your second, God, your third priority in my life. And then you watch God work every detail out. He's so detailed in his word. If even numbers who do not have a soul are important to God, how much more do you think you matter to God? He's not going to forsake you. Your steps are directed by the Lord, and we have got to trust that. So Church 214, here's our promise. We have union with God, and we have a double, here, uh, we have a double portion of spiritual blessing. That is our home address. That is the point. So let's pray.
Jesus, I thank you so much that 2 Corinthians teaches us that we triumph because of you. And so no matter where we go, God, you are going to use us to tell others about who you are and to spread the sweet fragrance of you, Jesus, to them. So God, I pray over this body of believers, God, that you would just give them the most boldness that they have ever encountered in their lifetime. So God, if they're staying, maybe in their job, that you would just equip them and build them up. God, if they're going and their home address is changing, God, I pray that you would plant their feet in the, just the, the hope that you are directing them. I pray against the spirit of fear and of doubt that it would be bound and rebuked in the name of Jesus. Because God, if you are for us and we know that you are, we get to trust you fully. So God, I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you are bringing nations to us, that we can help equip them with the word of God. God, I thank you that you are causing our, our, your gospel to go out through us as your conduit, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that we would take every opportunity that you put in front of us. And God, that we would bring people into your house. Because God, if numbers matter to you, how much more do souls matter? So Jesus, we are going to just raise this massive hallelujah to you right now. And we're going to praise your name. Because God, I, I just so believe that praise always is what causes the breakthrough. So God, as we stand to praise you, just know this is all for you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.